words. God, we love you. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the grace given to us daily. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Good morning, Firewheel. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all excited to be in God's house today? I'm excited that you all are here. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina, and I have the opportunity to serve as the interim pastor here at Firewheel, and I'd love to be able to say hi to you and talk to you after service, and so hopefully we'll get the opportunity to do that. So today's a really special day for us. I'm really excited because I get to introduce you to a guy who serves as my pastor in many ways, and a pastor to many, many students at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Dr. Joe Allen. Uh, Dr. Allen has, I've been in his office numerous times, we've talked through issues about church and other different things, we pray together, we've gone out to lunch, he really has been a great, great voice and a great friend uh, to be able to, to do, just for somebody who has a plethora of experience related to ministry and genuinely cares about the body of Christ. So I'm really excited that he's here today. So Pastor Joe, as we affectionately call him, earned his Bachelor of Science degree from Dallas Baptist University, my alma mater, in 1983, his Master of Theology degree from Dallas Theological Seminary in 1988, and his Doctor of Ministry degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1994. He has pastored for over 30 years, mainly in Georgia, his home state. Lindsay, his high school sweetheart, who is here with us today. Lindsay, can you stand and we can acknowledge you? So, all right. Uh, and Joe celebrated 46 years of marriage this past June. Apparently they're doing something right. So the Allens have two married children who both serve in vocational ministry and three grandchildren. Joe serves as the chaplain at DTS and during his downtime enjoys playing with the grandkids and watching University of Georgia football, which I am sure you will likely hear about at some point this morning. So I'm going to, uh, Firewall, can we give a hearty round and uh, heartfelt welcome to Dr. Joe Allen. <laughs> Appreciate it. <clears throat> well, they say you can tell a lot about a church by the way they sing. And I'm telling you, you folks know how to sing. You know how to worship. And the two ladies that were, wow, what voices God has blessed you with. And they are using their gifts and their talents to bring glory to God, and it's a wonderful thing. It's just wonderful. What a friendly church. What a friendly church. Everybody has been super welcoming to us. So let me just say thanks. And thanks to you, Pastor Adrian and Jen, for uh, extending the invitation. I just can't tell you how excited we are. I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. But take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. I'll give you just a moment to find it. Thank you for being here this morning. <clears throat> Again, it's, I, I don't take this lightly. I pastored long enough to know that the pulpit is as often called a sacred desk, and uh, I just really appreciate the opportunity, and let's look into God's Word. Many years ago, <clears throat> many, many years ago, when I turned 60, I look pretty good for 80, many years ago when I turned 60, my family got together, my kids and my wife and my kids' spouses and grandkids, and they all pooled their money, and they bought me a luxurious brown leather lounge chair and ottoman. And I want to tell you, it's my sweet spot. It's comfortable. It is my happy place. It's where I can kick my shoes off. It's where I can relax, flip a few channels, and oftentimes fall asleep. It's just a great place. Well, we open today with a similar scene uh, in this passage from 2 Samuel 7. David is relaxing in his palace. The palace was built from cedars of, of Lebanon. They were cut there, and then uh, they were floated down the coast of the Mediterranean all the way to Joppa. And then from Joppa, they were transported to Jerusalem. So here David sits 
in his wood-paneled den with the prophet Nathan, his chaplain. And uh, they're kicked back in matching brown leather Lazy Boy recliners, and each of them is sipping on an ice-cold bottle of Coca-Cola. They're just enjoying some downtime. And it's a rare moment of downtime. Uh, David has just a brief moment here to catch his breath. There were no wars going on at the time. You'll read that in verse 1. It tells us, the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. So, there's a, there's a little bit of time for David to think, to let his hair down, to relax with a trusted friend. And in a tender moment, it's a sweet moment that we get to eavesdrop on, David begins to speak to Nathan. And the words that come from his mouth reveal what's in his heart. And he says to his confidant, he says, Nate, I'm living here in this palace with cedar walls, the finest of Persian rugs, the best of decor, a grand view of the city, but, now listen to this, the ark of God, the tabernacle, dwells within tent curtains. The ark of God dwells under animal skins. David doesn't even need to finish his thought. Nathan knows where he's going, that his desire is to build a house for the ark, for the ark of God, for the tabernacle. You don't have to turn back and look, just listen to the story. Because in chapter 6, the ark is at the home of Abinadab in Baal, Judah. And so David takes 30,000 men to go get the ark to bring it to Jerusalem. He wants to do something special for God. Don't miss this. And let me quickly interject. You can't outgive God. Whenever you want to do something special for God, whenever you want to write out an extra check, whenever you go out of your way to, to, to share the gospel with somebody, Whenever you go out of your way to say a kind, encouraging word to another church member, whenever you do anything with the glory of God in mind, you're, you're going to come out ahead. The, the, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outpace grace. So just bear that in mind now. David says, Nate, the ark of God dwells in tent curtains. The ark of God dwells in animal skins. So David goes down to retrieve the ark. And they, they don't really follow God's instructions about the ark. They put the ark on a new cart that's being pulled by oxen. And they start to bring it. Now, that's not what God had in mind. There's a lot of symbolism here, and we're not going to take the time to go into it. But the ark was to be transported by men who were holding the ark on poles. So they begin to travel toward Jerusalem, and there comes a point along the way where the oxen stumble and almost topple the ark off the new cart, and a man named Uzzah puts his hand out, and God strikes him dead. Because none of this has been according to God's plan. So David, the Bible says, is angry and he's afraid. I don't think we're stretching things too far to say he's confused. So they leave the ark at a Gittite's house named Obed-Edom. With me so far? Just nod your head this way. That's good. At least, least I know you're awake. So they, uh, word comes about three months later to David 
that God is richly blessing Obed-Edom. And God, uh, uh, David sort of perks up and he says, we're going to go get the ark. And they go and they transport the ark to Jerusalem. So when David brings this whole idea up <clears throat> of building the temple, uh, a house worthy of God, um, Nathan replies and says, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Which makes perfect sense to us. So we see immediately that David's resolve is to build a house for the ark of God. I just want to pause along the way and make applications as we go because it, the passage is so rich. It's one of my all-time favorites. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question by way of application. Is there any doubt in anybody's mind as to why David is referred to as a man after God's own heart? Don't, by the way, don't you just love that phrase? I've loved it ever since I first heard it. I've loved David since I was a little boy, before I was a believer in Christ, but I knew he stood up for God, and I knew he killed a giant. And I just thought, man, what a, what a, what a guy. What a guy, especially in my teenage years when I was just a walking hormone and could have gotten in all kinds of trouble and nearly did. But thank God I didn't. But hearing the story of David in those days when I was much younger really helped me and motivated me. Any doubt as to why David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. See, David is not embroiled in any sort of adversity. He's enjoying prosperity. We just saw that in verse 1. And yet, now follow me here, yet his first concern is for the glory of God. Not too long ago, I preached on David and Goliath. And I've heard that preached before, and I've I've heard the application of, do you have giants in your life that need to be slain? And, and that's probably, I mean, that's a, a good application, but I don't think it's the number one point of the story of David and Goliath. If you read it carefully, as I was doing when I was preparing that message, <coughs> it becomes, <coughs> excuse me, it becomes clear that David was concerned about the glory of God. The glory of God, just as he is in this passage. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. He was concerned about the glory of God. And you know what the Westminster Confession says. The chief end of man is to, and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to say it, glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. Or as John Piper has turned it, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. We were created to enjoy God. We were created to bring him glory. And when we do what we were created for, God gets excited. And God takes notice. And he certainly took notice of David. David's not embroiled in adversity, but prosperity. And I agree with what Thomas Carlyle famously said. For every 100 people who can withstand adversity, only one can withstand prosperity. And David was the one. Now, chapter 7 can easily be divided into three sections. If you're a note taker, you might jot this down. David's resolve, God's reply, David's response. That's how the chapter breaks down. Pretty easy. And again, as we've seen, David's resolve was to build a house for the ark of God. So we pick up in verse 4 with God's reply. Nathan goes home, and the Lord speaks to him in the night. Now, this is my paraphrase, but you can look at it in your own Bible. Nathan, God says, you spoke prematurely. You spoke before I put my stamp of approval on David's plan. And then God begins to explain, have I been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle, ever since I brought Israel out of Egypt? And the answer is yes. 
and I never complained. I never asked for a house. I've never asked, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Clearly, God did it to identify himself with his people. And interestingly, Jesus did the same. John tells us, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is an interesting word. It means he pitched his tent. He tabernacled. Chuck Swindoll told me a story not too long ago. He said, uh, we were talking about the phrase, the friend of sinners, which, again, I dearly love that title for Jesus. Don't you? Well, if you're a sinner, you ought to just be saying, oh, amen. He's the friend of sinners. Chuck said uh, he was having a conversation with Dr. Stanley Toussaint when he was alive, and he said to Dr. Toussaint, he said, let me tell you something that just boggles my mind. Doesn't boggle your mind that Jesus wanted to be with sinners? And Dr. Toussaint said, I'll do you one better. And it's that sinners wanted to be with Jesus. Amen? And that's what we're doing here this morning. We're just a bunch of sinners who want to be with Jesus. So, Nathan, I want you to say to David, we're in about verse 8 here, and we're going we're gonna to bear down. We're going we're gonna to come to a section that we're going to read and just go verse by verse. I'm just sort of framing this for us. Nathan, I want you to say to David, I took you from the pasture, I took you from following the sheep, that you should rule over my people Israel. You don't get much lower than being a shepherd over sheep. Shepherds that I know of stink like sheep because they've been with them. Think back to when Samuel came to uh, anoint the new king. Saul was not doing a very good job. Uh, God said, okay, now it's time for the one that I've chosen. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, David's father, and they start, uh, he starts looking at his sons, and they parade seven sons before Samuel. Eliab comes in first, and Samuel looks at him and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But God said, no, Samuel, it is not. So then they bring in Abinadab, big, strong, strapping, handsome-looking guy. And Samuel looks at him, and Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's anointed, and God shuts him down again. So they bring in Shema, and Samuel goes through the same routine, and God says, no, this is not the one. All seven sons come before Samuel, all seven. And Samuel has to ask Jesse, don't you have another son? And Samuel says, yes, there's still one out keeping watch over the sheep. Well, bring him in, and what do you know? And God says, you know what he says. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And God knew the heart of David, the little shepherd boy. Not that he wasn't handsome, we're told that he was. Not that he wasn't a leader, we're told that he was. And in verse 9... God says, through Nate, I've been with you and I've cut off all your enemies. I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. In other words, David, you're a turtle on a fence post. You know what I mean. You ever seen one? You ever seen a turtle on a fence post? Because if you have, you know he didn't get there by himself. Dr. Don Campbell used to refer to himself as a turtle on a fence post. And he also said it's amazing how much can be accomplished for the Lord if you don't care who gets the glory. That's an easy thing to preach. That's a hard thing to live. But here, what we're reading in essence is the sovereign Lord is saying, I am the one who elevated you. I am the one who lifted you up. You are where you are because of my grace. And may I add, you are where you are because of God's grace. 
Now let's bear down a little bit. I want you to take your Bible and look carefully at verse 11. Because in 11, about halfway through, we read, The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. It would be so easy to read right past that, but this is an amazing, amazing, amazing statement. In other words, what God is saying through Nathan to David, David, you cannot build me a house, but I will build you a house. Isn't that great? You can't outgive God. This, this is a perfect example. David, you cannot build me a house, but I will build you a house. Are you getting this? David, you cannot build me a house, meaning a temple. I'm not going to allow you to build me a temple, but I will build you a house, meaning a dynasty, a royal house, a dynasty of kings. It would originate with David, but it would never end. Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment. And this is not lost on David. He's getting it. The Messiah would come from his loins. The Messiah would be a descendant of his. God is saying no about David building the temple, but he's also saying, David, you did well that it was in your heart. Or as F.B. Meyer put it, God is wrapping up the divine no in a promise of infinite blessing. So let me just add one more time, you cannot outgive God, you cannot outpace grace. God, and, and we're about to see it before our very eyes, God is making a covenant with David, a, a promise, and I'm telling you this is one of the great chapters of the Bible. So if you haven't been familiar with this, get familiar with it this morning. The message of the Bible from this point forward rests on this promise that God made to David. Nod your head this way, even if you're faking it. We'll fake it until we make it. Let's go back about a thousand years earlier because God made a covenant with Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. The first three verses... You don't need to turn, but make a note if you're a note taker, or make a mental note. God made a covenant with Abraham. And then he ratified that covenant in chapter 15. I remember when I was in seminary, I took a class on the covenants. Because though I had read my Old Testament, and though I knew something about uh, what I was reading, I didn't have a very good understanding at all. So I'm taking a class on the covenants, and particularly the four uh, unilateral covenants, the unconditional covenants. And uh, if you really want a study that will bless you, study this. <clears throat> Dr. Uh, Pentecost was teaching one day in class on chapter 15. And I'm sitting there in a full, cl a, a packed classroom at the seminary. And he is such an amazingly good storyteller that it's, it was as if I were there. You ever had an experience like that? It was as if I were there. Nothing, nothing really odd. It was just, I was so locked in that it was as if I had been transported back in time. And he explained how God took the animals, split the animals in half, divided them, Usually, when you are entering into a covenant with someone else, you and that other person would walk through the animals. But in this case, God put Abraham into a deep sleep. And the burning, fiery furnace representing God passed through on its own because it was an unconditional covenant that God was going to bring to pass regardless of Abraham. And it is the foundation for God's purposes and dealings with his people Israel. And God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, and we're just about to read it, 
God's covenant with David is built on the covenant with Abraham because the covenant with Abraham is where God promises to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the peoples of the world. Why? Because Jesus would come from this nation. Jesus would be Jewish. So, this is built, the Davidic covenant is built on Abraham's covenant. But it is God's promise to David that indicates David's greater son will be the one through whom the future kingdom will be inaugurated. God makes this magnificent statement, and he promises David that his dynasty, culminating in the Messiah, will never be terminated. Get as much of this as you can lap up. The Messiah's kingdom rule would be forever. So let's read together, beginning in verse 12. I'm going to read down through verse 17. Soak up as much as you can, and you'll pick up a lot more than you think you do. I have a three-year-old grandson, and he picks It's amazing what he picks up. I pulled up at a stop sign the other day and kind of had to slam the brakes on just a little bit. He said, he's in his car seat behind me. And he looks at me and he says, boy, that was sketchy. <laughs> he's three years old. He's a funny kid. You'll pick it up just like he will. You're over three, I think, so... Here we go. Follow with me. We're beginning in verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, Solomon, David's son, got it? Who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. He's going to build the house. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But, verse 15, my loving kindness, that's the word hesed, or you pronounce it like you're clearing your throat, hesed, it's a Jewish word. It's really... It means loving kindness. It means the meaning is fuller, but it's the Old Testament equivalent of grace. And he says, My loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Now, if you're a note taker, get your pen ready. Verse 16. And your house, just write lineage by that, and your kingdom, write the word Israel by that, shall endure before me forever. Your throne, write the word authority by that, shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So we learn a few things from the passage. Solomon would succeed David, and he, God, would establish Solomon's kingdom. Solomon would build the temple that David really longed to build. And it's interesting to me that nowhere in this passage is David told why he wasn't allowed to build the temple. He was told later in 1 Chronicles 22, and it says, you have shed blood abundantly and made great wars. And that's why God would not let David build the temple. But he didn't know it at this time. So Solomon, Solomon, shalom, peace, would build the temple. So we take away... First, that God would establish David's throne forever, verse 13. Number two, God's chesed would be forever, verse 15. That David would have a house forever, verse 16. A kingdom forever, a throne forever, and would glorify God's name forever. And all of this is fulfillment in, or fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the son of David, when he returns to rule over believing Israel, sitting on David's throne. This is yet future. The fulfillment is yet future. It's coming. And I'm sure that Pastor Adrian is teaching you these things. This is sort of like uh, a few years back when we bought a Toyota Camry. You know, we bought a Camry, we drove that thing forever. 
I think we put 300,000 miles on it and sold it, and the guy who bought it's still driving it probably. But when we bought that Camry, we'd never owned one before. You've had this experience. You begin to look around, and all of a sudden, you see Camrys everywhere, don't you? It's the same here. I mean, I can show you a lot of places where this is all throughout your Bible. Jeremiah 23, Romans chapter 1, Revelation 22. Let me read just a couple of them as a sample. Here's Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. Listen. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. This is in Psalms. Did I say that? Psalm 89, verse 4. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. I'm thinking, boy, I never noticed that before. Listen to this one. And you'll be more familiar with this one because we just had Christmas. Y'all celebrate Christmas, don't you? <laughs> Listen to this. Four verses. Luke chapter 1. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Sound familiar? And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. I'm in Luke chapter 1. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. You probably read that just this past Christmas and maybe didn't even realize what you were reading. So we come to the final section, and I need to wrap this up. So uh, follow with me carefully. The final section of the chapter begins with verse 18. And verse 18 says, Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Listen to David. And see if this doesn't melt your heart. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me this far? David goes into the tabernacle and he sits before the Lord. Now, I don't know if he was kneeling and then he sat back on his haunches or if he just sat with his knees up and maybe his head between his knees. But I do know this. This is one of the most moving prayers in all of the Bible. So let's see what he says. David accepts the Lord's refusal to allow him to build the temple, even though he doesn't know why. Now, while David's praying this prayer, I picture him as weeping. I may be reading too much into this, but I'm telling you, I picture him as weeping. He's overwhelmed with emotion. And how could it not be? Because God has said no, but as Meyer said, God is wrapping up the divine no in a promise of infinite blessing. That's grace. That's grace. I remember a few years ago, uh, I was pastoring in Georgia, and uh, I got a call from Dr. Mark Bailey, who was the president of the seminary at the time, or I got an email, actually, and he said, I, I need to talk to you. He said, when, when can you talk? And being the smart aleck that I am, and I know I am, I emailed him back, and I said, well, you're the one who's busy. You tell me. I mean, I was so busy, I was up to my eyeballs. But anyway, I was a smart aleck. So anyway, the next day, I'm sitting at the dining room table in our home, in our house, in our home, and the phone rings at exactly 11 o'clock, or whatever time he called me. And uh, he said, Joe, I've changed my thinking. I want you to be the chaplain at Dallas Seminary, and I want to fly out here as soon as we can. And I, okay, Mark, okay. Uh, let me pray about it, yes. And uh, so uh, we finished our conversation, and I pushed my cell phone across the table and I put my head on the table and I have to admit to you I just started boo-hooing I just started weeping and mainly not so much about becoming chaplain but that God hadn't forgotten me that he still remembered me 
and I was crying and carrying on. I, I knew I was nothing. It wasn't an inferiority complex. It was a solid fact. I knew I was nothing. But God was so good and so gracious and so graceful toward me. You know, many times we don't know why God says no. But you can always bank on the fact that God has something better for you. Always, even though you don't understand it. John Newton, the slave trader who became a pastor following his conversion to Christ, wrote hymns like Amazing Grace, the one we sang. Where's the lady who sang that this morning? Man, was I blessed by that. Um, John Newton, who wrote the song, put it this way. Listen, everything is necessary that he sins. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. If it is in your life, you must need it, even if it is bad. If it is not in your life, you don't need it, even if you think you do. David sits before the Lord, weeping, and he says to the Lord, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me this far? You brought me from the fields. You brought me from the smelly sheep. You brought me from nothing, and I am nothing but a turtle on a fence post. That's in the Hebrew. <laughs> he says to the Lord, I am where I am because of your grace. And again, you are where you are because of his grace. In verse 20, and again, what more can David say to thee? For thou knowest thy servant, O Lord God. God, I'm a turtle. I'm a turtle. And for David to recognize that displays great humility. And if you're honest, you would say, I'm a turtle. You know, if you're honest, you won't be proud. And I'll guarantee you this, if you're proud, you're not honest. David continues to give thanks for God's goodness and his sovereignty. And in this final prayer, David addresses God seven times, at least in the version that I'm using, the New American Standard, O Sovereign Lord, O Sovereign Lord, O seven times, and, <coughs> excuse me, and in humility, he refers to himself as your servant, your servant, your servant, your servant, ten times, ten times. He might as well be saying, Lord, I'm nothing but a turtle on a fence post. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'll never be a King David, nor will I. But you're the son of a greater king, and you're the daughter of a greater king. You may be struggling with the fact that you're at a dead-end job, that, that you're serving in obscurity, trapped. What difference does it make when you're serving a king? Joseph was in prison. Daniel was in exile. Moses was on the backside of the desert. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul and John the Baptist were both beheaded. Our king died on a cross. What difference does that make when you're serving a king? A king with mortal wounds on an immortal body. Boy, I'll follow a king like that anywhere. Our business is to be faithful. Our business is to be servants. Our business is to be turtles. You say, how? James 4, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. That's the way the King James puts it, draw nigh. I got to tell you this, I've got a friend who has four daughters and when they were little, they were really working with them regarding Scripture memory. And uh, Joanna was the youngest. They had her, quote, she was working on James 4, 8. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. And they said, okay, Joanna, go ahead, say it. She said, little bitty thing, 
draw a knife on God and he'll draw a knife on you. <laughs> Two verses later, James says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. And if he doesn't exalt you here, then you've really got something to look forward to because he's going to exalt you in heaven because the way up is down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for the absolute privilege of being at Firewheel and worshiping with my brothers and sisters here. And what a good time we've had. Father, thank you that though we are sinners and we are so far from perfect, we realize perfection is required for heaven because heaven is a perfect place and you're a perfect God and you're not going to allow sin to enter in. And because we have sinned, we owe a penalty and the penalty is hell. Thank you that Jesus died in our place. He took our sin on himself and in exchange he gives us his perfection when we put our trust in him for those here today that need to trust in you may they not put that off may they do it in the quietness of their own mind as soon as they can just saying lord i know i'm a sinner i want to go to heaven i trust jesus thank you that he came back from the dead amen Amen. No. All right, Firewell, we're going to take an opportunity to do what we do every Sunday. Every Sunday after we have the sermon, we give an opportunity. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. We take an opportunity to pray. Why do we do this? We do this, number one, because it's an expression of love, how we can love one another well. Uh, and also, number two, is because, as Chris said, this is one of the things that exemplifies the community of God. We're people of prayer. And so I want to encourage you that if there was something that resonated in this message with you, if there's any specific need that you have, please allow somebody to be able to pray with you today. That's what we do as the body of Christ. And we're going to take an opportunity to respond and to be able to worship. So remember, what we're doing right now, this is not spectator time. So if you want to stand and worship with us during this next song, you can worship. If you want to be where you're at, and just pretend like it's you and Jesus in this room. And so what would you say to him in response to what you've heard this morning? Uh, so let's have an opportunity to be able to pray and let's worship.
Amen. He is good. If it's your first time worshiping here with us at Firewheel, we are really grateful that you are here, and we hope that you have experienced uh, the love of God expressed through all that has been communicated today and also through his people. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more. So on the screen behind me, there's a QR code that you can scan, and you can fill out a little connection card, or just make sure before you leave today to visit our connection center in the lobby. Uh, one of our guest services attendants would love to be able just to talk with you, tell you a little bit about what's going on at Firewheel. I'd love to be able to reach out to you as well, see how we can come alongside of you and your family and be able to serve you. Uh, because we, we don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey, but uh, we feel like you found a good place here and we'd love to come alongside of you in that way. Uh, we're going to worship the Lord through giving, uh, and then we'll go ahead and give you a few announcements and get you out of here. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and we're going to worship the Lord in that way. Every Sunday we have an opportunity to do this as well, and God loves a cheerful giver, and uh, we worship through this means. I wish it didn't cost money to do ministry, but that's the reality of life, right? So uh, here on this earth, money is a tool. It's a terrible master, but it's a great tool. And so it allows us to be able to do the work of the kingdom. And so thank you all for your gracious giving. And so I just want to pray a blessing on that, and then we'll show you a few announcements. So Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship through giving. We know that you are the God who owns all things. And Lord, you are our provider, uh, individually and corporately, and so we trust you. And so Lord, we thank you that money is a tool. It's a tool to be able to use for your glory, and it's a way which we can show obedience to you as well. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless the gift and the giver, cause it to multiply, that you will uh, be pleased and allow us to steward it well for the sake of your kingdom here uh, to those that you have allowed us to minister to at Firewall Bible Fellowship. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your attention to the screen for a few announcements. Hello, and welcome to Firewall Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewall. Our final session of Couples Talk will be this Wednesday, February 22nd, and our regularly scheduled Wednesday night programming will begin March 1st. Firewheel Youth will continue to meet weekly. Sunday, February 26th, immediately following the service, will be an important meeting to give updates to our Firewheel family. There will not be childcare for this event, so all attendees can come. Parents, plan on some snacks and coloring pages for the little ones. April 7th is Good Friday, and we will be having a special service that night at 6.30 p.m. Easter Sunday, bring the family as we celebrate our risen Savior with worship and baptisms. There will be no 9.30 a.m. activities, and child care will only be available for two and under. If you are interested in being baptized, visit the Connection Center in the lobby to pick up a form, and a pastor will contact you. For more information on these or any of our other events, go online to firewheelfellowship.com or you can always check us out on social media. All right, guys, if you'll stand, we'll go ahead and say our benediction over you. We'll pick up in the book of Esther next week and uh, start bringing our sermon series to a close. So if you want to read ahead, Esther chapter 8, uh, we'll pick up next week. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. We love you all so much. You're out of Smith. We'll see you next week.